Welcome to Fit Body Happy Joints. My name is Shannon. So today we have a guest on the podcast, Jewel Anderson. I talk about exercise from the physical side of things, but I know that there is an equally, if not more important part of the equation, and that is the mental side of things. And I talk about this a lot in my classes to the extent that I feel comfortable. I'm not formally educated in mental health by any means, and I don't claim to be, but I do think think that it's extremely important to be in tune with your mental health and what's going on in your own mind. And one thing that I hear from clients often is that they have a hard time internalizing that they've done enough from their workouts. And I think that there is a mental side of this. And today, Jewel and I's conversation maybe kind of exposes some of that. And it definitely opened my eyes to some things that maybe might be going on in your subconscious, some things that might be going on with your mental health. And it felt like a very vulnerable but empowering conversation. I'm so excited to introduce Jewel. So Jewel Anderson is a licensed professional counselor who works with individuals and couples in private practice. Jewel's education consists of undergraduate degrees in art education and a master's degree in arts and counseling. Jewel believes her background in art influences her ability to navigate the art and science of the abstract world of psychotherapy. Jewel works from a psychodynamic approach, which is grounded in attachment theory, exploring the unconscious and relies heavily on the counselor-client relationship as the catalyst for healing. In addition to this approach, she utilizes body-based techniques to help clients connect to emotion, which lives in the body. This conversation felt super powerful and empowering, and I hope you all enjoy it as much as I did. Let's welcome Jewel. Jewel, we are so excited to have you. I feel like there is a missing component to a lot of the information that I talk about, and it is mental health. And I have been looking for a practitioner to come on the podcast and speak about mental health and its relationship to exercise for a long time. Mm -hmm. So thank you so much for being here. I'm really thrilled to have you. I think the audience is going to really benefit from your insight. Mm -hmm. Well, I so appreciate being here. I think I love being a part of this conversation. So thanks for having me. Yay. Well, let's get right into it. So Here's something that I often see with my audience and with my people. They they love to exercise intensely and they say, exercise, I have to exercise like that for my mental health. Mm-hmm. And although I, I, you know, that's outside of my wheelhouse as far as like understanding that completely. However, what I do tend to see, or just like a theme that I notice is that so many, it tends to be women will, you know, over-exercise and use exercise as almost like a crutch, um, to deal with their anxiety. They feel like they're so anxious, like all they can do to gain control is like exercise. And then they end up stressing out their body more. They end up having more stress in their life and it kind of snowballs. I see that trend a lot. So I would love to hear your thoughts on this and your thoughts on kind of using exercise as therapy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think that there is a lot to be said in that. Um, the two things, like as you described um, that um, way of utilizing exercise, the two things that I hear in that are one, use the word crutch, which in 
therapeutic terms, I would convert that to the word defense. And so we can often use exercise as a defense, um, which I do, I want to talk a lot about that. Yet also, the way that someone utilizes it may be the completely different reason, may be a completely different reason than somebody else. And so you can have the same behavior, um, whether that's like the same exact fitness regime to another person and the why or the underbelly of what's happening um, can be totally different. Um, and so I think it's, it's understanding for what purpose am I doing this? Um, so that's the first thing. Also with the idea about defenses is it's a way to protect ourselves. Um, and I know that you've talked about this, Catherine has talked about this. And so now kind of putting it into the mental health realm, any way or any time that we are utilizing something to protect against or move away from something uncomfortable, um, it's because we are trying to protect. Um, and that's super important to understand and to like, as we listen, as you listen, the listener to this podcast, um, is that we have to be really gracious with ourselves um, and not beat ourselves up for utilizing it as a defense. Um, because I think that's also really common is that people um, get fixated on needing to be like the most healthy or we need to eradicate all of our maladaptive behaviors. And that's just not possible. Um, so I know there's a lot more to be said about that, but that's kind of my first thought um, with it being used as a crutch. Um, the, the part that like using it as therapy, which I hear that often as well, whether that is other places that I've worked out or just friendships or whatever that might be clients. Um, one, I can, I can tell you right away, therapy is not exercise. I think it downplays even what I do for a living. Um, but I think what's setting that is, Hey, this feels helpful to me. Um, to get to a point that I can function or that I can operate without being incredibly stressed out, without being really anxious. And that's important too. We can go, okay, this is serving you um, in a beneficial way, but let's understand that. Um, and it's not sustainable because if it's a repetitive pattern. If you have to keep utilizing a behavior um, in order to get back to like baseline, um, it's not something we, we need to address the thing that is propelling us toward it. So I think it's, as you mentioned in our conversation last week, you know, it's important to make sure that we're not shaming ourselves for taking a behavior or pinning something as like morally wrong or good. And you mentioned sublimation, which I thought was really interesting. It's a term that I hadn't heard before. Can you talk about that a little bit more and how that can apply to um, this topic and with exercise? Mm -hmm. Sure. Yeah. Like, um, you know, earlier I mentioned the word defense and defenses, we can have a zillion different defenses and every single person has, comes up with really creative stealthy ways to defend against things that feel very um, difficult or unbearable. Um, oftentimes things that are like coming from our past. Um, 
which is also why it's important to process our past and to go backward. Um, and a lot of people ask that question, like why revisit the past? Um, it's because we're actually created by the experiences from our upbringing, um, particularly with our caregivers. Um, so with that said, um, unconsciously, which I feel like most people probably know what that means, but unconscious means, so conscious means everything that we're aware of. Um, you and I are talking right now, you're wearing a yellow shirt, anything that I'm aware of. Unconscious is anything that's like below sea level. It's the rumblings, it's the earthquakes, it's the things I can't see, um, but I feel them and I they're happening and they're playing out my life in a way that um, is disruptive to my life. Um, it gets kind of tricky because there's certain things that aren't as overtly um, maladaptive. And the term sublimation that I talked to you about last week is one of them. And so sublimation, it's an unconscious defense of like converting or metabolizing in a way um, unconscious conflict or impulses. And so for instance, like someone who has severe OCD, they become an administrative assistant because they can be kick-ass at that, right? Um, so it's it's putting energy towards and it's like converting it in a new way. Artists, oftentimes, I mean, my husband and I talk about the most tortured souls um, are the best artists because they're able to put their um, depression or sadness, their fear into art. Same thing with exercise. Um, you can have, so I shared with you last week, my friend who, um, she's also a therapist and it's really interesting to talk to her about this because she's a bodybuilder. And when I ask her more about it, so for her, the sublimation part is a need to feel control and power. Um, and so that's a way that she can have that and a way to feel seen for her because she does these competitions. Um, so understanding that part of herself, making the con the unconscious conscious, she then can become aware of what it is that she's moving towards. What she's moving towards is the need for power and control, which we all need. Um, and then she's also able to go, at what point is this becoming harmful in my life or disruptive or if I'm avoiding it? So in that sense, she, she knows what's happening because she's doing a lot of her own work and it's actually a really, really good thing in her life. Um, she talks about those, some people in the community struggle with body dysmorphia. Um, they get way too rigid, way too controlling. And I don't mean that in like um, a shaming way, but if you're unaware of why you're doing it, what you're moving toward, that's when you just are perpetuating that cycle. Um, another, I think, relevant example of this is um, uh, Melissa Hartwig. She started Whole30. So this is out. This is public. I'm not like saying anything that I don't know her. Obviously, it's not like I'm airing her laundry. Um, but she used to be a former drug addict. And so she even I read this in an article. She said the things that made her an addict make her amazing at what she does now. And so she has this whole program that is ultra restrictive and I want to say this is not me commenting in about Whole30 whatsoever. She sure. has been able to take, she was once an addict, which is very harmful to your life. And it's now being sublimated into this really restrictive um, 
more socially acceptable way. But that doesn't mean that the undertow or maybe what's causing that is worked on. Um, I mean, who knows? Maybe she is, maybe she isn't. I have no idea. I can't comment on that. But that's another example of sublimation. Yeah. And I think that that um, will shed a lot of light for a lot of people who maybe feel this. um, And again, this isn't my lane. So I hope I'm not saying anything insensitive. That's not my intention at all. Um, But I, I feel like so many people feel kind of this impulsive need to exercise in order to maybe, maybe it is because of this sublimation, something in their past. So for those listeners who might resonate with this, what could be some strategies to like, first off, would you recommend working to uncover what is ultimately causing this sublimation? Is that, would that be your first recommendation? And if so, how do you do that with a client? That might be a big question. Yeah. I mean, again, that's, it can be so nuanced and so personal. Um, and obviously understanding, doing this type of work, understanding what's unconscious, um, we don't know what's unconscious until it becomes conscious. And so doing therapeutic work is, and I think particularly with um, therapists who have, who work towards understanding stuck patterns in people's lives. A therapist who is working towards understanding in that person's life, how their past is alive in the present. Um, That is really important. And then that way you get to understand um, themes, how it's coming up in other parts of your life. Um, So one example personally, and this isn't necessarily sublimation, um, and I don't want people to get too hung up on like um, knowing exact names of defenses. It's like, oh, am I doing this out of a place that's unprocessed? I think that's just a good question. Like, huh. And just be really curious about that and going, or is it, is it impulsive? So is it OCD? Do I feel like I have to work out in order to feel okay? That could be OCD. Um, body dysmorphia falls under OCD. I mean, there's all kinds of ways that this um, flushes out. Um, so like for me, one thing that I recently became aware of, well, what's not recently, like, um, how do I want to say this? What's not new to me is my struggle with or wounding of not feeling like I'm enough. Um, and that's played out in friendship, relationship, all kinds of ways, professionally thinking, Oh, I'm behind or other people are better than me, etc. Um, I didn't realize it was playing out in the type of exercises I was drawn to. And so the type of exercise that I used to do before Evlo um, was really intense. And I often had the sense of like, I'm not enough. And after I switched to Evlo and realized, oh my gosh, I don't have to be doing X, Y, Z. I am enough. I've done enough. I realized that was one other area that I was enacting my past. If that, and, and I can explain that a little bit more, but it's like, oh, here I, I generally am drawn to, because this is what happens. So like an enactment is when our past is playing out in the present, but we're unaware of it. And so I'm drawn to generally 
relationships where I'm generally like the pursuer, I'm the initiator. And then when I'm not getting that back, I feel like what's wrong with me? I'm not enough. I didn't even realize that that was playing out even in the space of where I was working out. It plays out in finance, it plays out in all kinds of ways. Um, So it's really nuanced. I think how we operate unconsciously and the things that we are drawn to um, and really that type of work really can only be done through, I think, the therapeutic realm in relationship. Wow. That was a long answer. No, I think, I mean, I think that's going to be huge for a lot of listeners because that is one thing that I hear hands down that I hear the most from new members is that I'm, I hear them say, I'm really struggling with this mindset of feeling like I've like, this is enough exercise and that I've done enough. And people have a really, really hard time internalizing that. And, you know, hearing that, hearing you say there could be really valid, real reasons why you're feeling this way. And, you know, it's not just because you, you know, you're obsessed with the way your body looks or whatever. It could be because of things that are really, that are real going on inside of you. And, you know, again, those are things that are outside of my realm and outside of my wheelhouse as far as to educate on. But I, I, after talking to you last week, I'm like, oh, I need to, I want to go like to therapy and think about some things that are going on in my own life and my own past and everything like that. So I think that you what you just said is going to be very empowering, very, very empowering for people. Thank you. I hope so. I think, you know, and you even, so your last podcast from last week, um, where you talked about not being enough, um, I think was so powerful because people are drawn to story. And I think people are drawn to knowing, um, one, that they're not alone and that the vulnerable part of people is what softens, is what opens people up. Um, and we need both the education, which I love on your podcast, and also I think people's real life experiences. Um, and that it's not as, it's not simple as people think. Um, and again, people's motives um, behind why they do what they do um, can be so different from the next person, which I think even right now is a good time to even say, like, it's not our job to figure that out for the people. Um, it's not our job to yes. judge um, why people are doing what they're doing. Um, it's only our job to figure out ourselves um, and to look within ourselves, And we can't compare, like, what I'm doing to the next person. Yes. Yes. I love that. I think, you know, I, I struggle with that myself. Like I just want to help everybody. And I'm like, Oh, like, listen to this. Listen to like, even my mom, I'll be like, send her things. And she like doesn't listen to them. It's like, okay, they've got to put on, you know, they've got to put on their own oxygen mask first. And, but I, I would love to talk next about, um, there was sublimation that you wanted to talk about. And then what was the second kind of defense, um, mechanism that, that you wanted to speak about and educate about? Mm. Yeah. I mean, I think in general, um, avoidance, right? Like, um, when I don't want to deal with something and I'm not saying I, but like, if someone doesn't want to deal with something, um, we can occupy ourselves. 
um, and moving into a um, intense or upbeat or um, whatever kind of exercise can be a way to defend against things that might feel really difficult. Um, And to throw out just some general examples of that, I mean, um, a lot of people, especially those who are avoidant, have a more difficult time feeling uncomfortable emotions like sadness, like fear, even anger. Um, and if we occupy ourselves or avoid, which again, we could do a million things under the sun to avoid um, uncomfortable things within ourselves. Um, but that's a way to defend against. And I think it's it's important. Again, I keep going back to the past, but the reason why, like, it's well, I guess it's good to ask ourselves, like what feels uncomfortable about this? Why am I unable to move toward sadness? Why am I unable to move towards the thing that feels most scary? And oftentimes that's the work that is uncovered in the therapeutic process, whether that is um, parents who didn't mirror back to their children, um, it being okay to feel. Um, How was anger expressed growing up? Was it pushed down? Was it told that it's not okay? Um, I mean, there's like a million things under the sun that could cause us to want to suppress, push down, compartmentalize, disassociate. I mean, that's another, I mean, people who work out really, really hard can also have also said it's a way to disassociate, to not be in my body. Um, again, which is why I think it, I love, I, and I get, no, no one, everyone out there, Shannon's not telling me to say this. I love <laughs> your program <laughs> because thank you. Because I get, I'm in my body and I, I'm one of the people I don't listen to the music because I have mm. to be very focused and I like literally feel my feet. I like Ugh. go straight. I'm like, okay, this muscle, I'm lifting a thousand pounds because yes. you are so connected and you have to be really mindful, which utilizing as a way to, um, avoid or disassociate you're outside your body. You're not in your body when you're doing those things. I yeah. love that. And I have two comments based on what you just said. I think your description of these defensive mechanisms, give people permission to know that this is just your body trying to protect you. Your body doesn't have malice, malice, malice. Malice, <laughs> malice, intense. Like yes. it's not, you know, it's, there's nothing wrong with you. We, we're not trying to shame these behaviors. It, I feel like that will give so many people like a sigh of relief. Like mm-hmm. your brain your is just trying to protect you yeah. and it has good intentions. So that was my first observation that I thought from what you just said that I thought was beautiful and very important to highlight. The second thing that I want to ask you, which might be a little personal and we can cut this out if you're not comfortable answering this, but I just wonder from a, um, from your kind of clinical psychology standpoint, I hear from members sometimes that they'll have emotional experiences after exercise or after classes or in Shavasana. Do you ever think that, you know, exercise and really focusing on your body, like the way we do in my classes and the way I try to cue do you ever think that does for you personally, do things come up 
emotionally. And is that a thing? <laughs> I guess. I don't know if I'm asking that very articulately. No, that's a really, I, that's a great question. Um, I, um, I have thought, because I know that in your classes, you'll often say like, if you're antsy, you can even stand up during Shavasana. I, I love, I love Shavasana. (laughs) And there are times I just am like, this is like one of the only moments I get to come down, right? I get to come down from a space that feels, um, like I just worked really hard and giving that permission. I, I will say, so not necessarily, I'm, I'm trying to think like nothing is necessarily come to my mind in terms of like after I've worked out. Um, but I think resting is absolutely a time when emotion can come up. Um, whenever I, like a long time ago, whenever I did my first like mindfulness, like exercises, I felt a lot of anxiety and I'm like, wait a second. I thought this was like supposed to make me feel calm. And sure. It's like when you actually rest and move into the body, which we can talk about too, like with the change triangle thing, when we move into the body and recognize our somatic symptoms, we can move toward that and go, what is underneath that? Okay. I have anxiety. My heart is pounding. What's happening? Like what can, how can I peel that back and understand what's happening underneath the anxiety? So it's, it's okay that things come up. Um, and that doesn't mean that there's anything wrong. So if someone feels emotional, I'd, I'd like to actually hear if certain things, what people have said to you, um, things that, that you've heard. Um, mm-hmm. I, I get this a lot. People will just cry in Shavasana. I get that a lot. And I don't know if it's, you know, I don't know why that happens. Um, I think I always try to encourage because this is something, and I heard you say this, and this is something that I try to practice with my own, like mental health Mm -hmm. is when emotions come up instead of like trying to push them away and approach them with resistance. I try to approach them with like curiosity because I always try to tell myself, like I'm built to tolerate negative emotion. I'm a human which means I'm built to tolerate negative emotion. And if I invite this in and get curious about it, I'm going to learn something about myself and that will make me more equipped to deal with this next time or whatever. And so, I don't know, I say a lot of things like that in my classes. And so I don't like, I I don't know if it's like something, I don't know why the emotional release happens. I've been in yoga classes where I have emotional releases in Shavasana. Mm -hmm. Um, So I know it's a thing. I guess I don't fully understand the mechanism why that happens, but that tends to be not, not, I haven't heard it happening during like physical movement. Uh It's always at the end. I mean, my best guess, or, I mean, it, I guess it just makes sense to me because when we're in an, in a disarmed state, um, in a vulnerable state, I mean, that's actually something like laying with your arm, your limbs open, like what it's a physical opening of yourself. That's vulnerable. Um, yes. Versus going straight from a workout to the next thing, right? You're opening yourself to what could be going on inside of you. And so the people have maybe said that they've cried. Um, that makes perfect sense to me that when they're in a state of rest, um, that's what comes up. 
I, I, I love it because yeah. from every time I've heard that they, these people have been, have said it feels really good. Like it feels like a, I'm crying. It feels like a release, like a burst of like emotion mm-hmm. that's like a weight off their shoulders. It's not like a, I'm sad type of cry. Oh, interesting. Um, yeah, I think it's really, I mean, I encourage that like for sure, but I think you're right. I think it's probably just because like, cool. it's hard for us to get still and just like kind of shut our minds off for a second and our bodies off for a second. And actually, you know, what's actually there comes up. So mm. I would love, awesome. I would love if you talked about the, um, because I think, um, I always try to leave my podcast with like, these are the actions that you could apply into your life today. If you wanted, mm-hmm. we talked last week about the the triangle. Yeah. Can you tell, can you tell us about that? Cause I think it's really cool. And I think it's really actionable for the listeners. Sure. Yeah. So this is something that you can kind of keep in your back pocket, I guess. Um, so if you visualize an upside down triangle and this is from, hold on. I, do I have her book? I don't have her. Yes, I do. I'm going to hold it up. So this okay. is from book called It's Not Always Depression. And her name is Hillary Jacobs Hindle. So you could even put that in the show notes or something. Um, yes, I will. So this is, imagine an upside down triangle and the top right-hand corner is defenses. So that could literally be anything under the sun like we talked about. Um, humor, avoidance, you know, exercise as a way to avoid or it as sublimation, um, self-harm, drinking wine. I mean, it could be anything to defend against something. Then in the other corner, it's called inhibitory emotions. And so what that means is like shame, anxiety, and guilt. And those are emotions that then cut us off from connection to ourself and connection to other people. Um, so people think that shame is an emotion. It's not really it's a, it's a defense. It's a, it's an emotional defense against, um, our core emotions. And so that would be at the bottom of the triangle. Um, and the reason it's also at the bottom is because it's like facing down, like it's toward our gut, right? It's in our body. Emotion lives inside of our, our body. Um, and those seven core emotions, let's see if I can remember them. Um, joy. I'll start with that one. Cause that's what I forgot last week. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Joy, excitement, sexual excitement, anger, fear, sadness, and disgust. Um, So when we're not feeling, if we're not in that place, something is defending against it, right? And so if we are in a defense or if we're feeling shame, guilt, or anxiety, we know we can go, huh, this is above the surface, right? How, like what's actually below the surface, right? So if I'm feeling shame, what could actually be underneath that, right? And we say the word curious so much, but we, we want to move toward the shame or the anxiety with curiosity and say, if I were to peel this back, um, what would be underneath that? And for some people, for some people on their own, they might be able to get to um, a productive place with that. For other people, they might not be able to. Um, one, either because it's so, um, unconscious and it's so deeply embedded, um, that they can't really get there or it's too, um, unbearable. Um, 
sadness or anger is too unbearable, or this might be surprising, but I've actually had clients where if they experience excitement or joy, they move up to shame um, because they don't believe they deserve good things, which isn't something anyone would really think would happen, but it's a very real thing. Um, And yeah, it's really sad. It's really sad, but it's also amazing to, to watch and to be with a client um, in those moments. Um, I, I love, uh, if you're going to ask a question, please do. I'd love to give an example. Uh, I was just going to say, I would love to hear an example of this um, all the way through if you have one. So yeah, um, I'd love to give a few examples of the change triangle. Um, first, I'll just give a couple more kind of benign examples, things that you can kind of be looking for in your everyday. Um, and then I'll give an example um, that's more uh, deeper therapeutic work and what it could look like in the therapeutic process. And, um, you know, going back to when I had talked about, there's just some parts of self that um, it's just a lot more difficult to get to on your own, um, which is why, you know, the benefit of therapy is um, you have um, a mirror looking back at you and you have someone who's um, able to help guide you um, towards those deeper parts of self that we, you know, wouldn't be able to get to on our own. Um, so, yeah, um, you know, one thing about um, defenses is, um, you know, it could be anything like we talked about. And so let's just say you notice you are overeating um, or you're on your screen a lot more or you notice yourself like exercising a lot. And so you feel really panicky. Like you have to like keep yourself occupied. Um, any of those would be a good example of like a defense. So you might be in that right-hand corner of the triangle. Um, so if you start noticing these things that are a little bit out of the ordinary, um, you can go, okay, this is, this is different. Um, I'm, I'm eating a lot more. I notice I feel really panicky and I have to work out a lot. Um, I'm just scrolling on Instagram like all the time. Um, What could that be about? Um, So once you get into awareness of that, you can then move towards the body and go, okay, where in my body do I feel sensation? And you can do a body scan. You can do some breathing. um, You might start to notice, um, you know, your heart racing. You can notice like a deep heaviness in your chest. I often feel like stress in my neck. Um, I also feel a lot of like heaviness in my, my neck and shoulders whenever I feel um, sad. Um, disgust often shows up as like, like your stomach feeling nauseous um, or just like a pit in your stomach. Um, but honestly, like it could be many different things. I have clients who experience migraines often. I have a client who experiences like um, tension in her pelvic floor. Um, so there's all kinds of ways that emotion lives in the body somatically. Um, so when you start to experience the sensation, um, you move toward it. Um, and often people, you know, think, you know, how do I get rid of this? Um, well, we want to like actually move toward it. We want to embrace that. You want to feel it. Um, that sounds cheesy and maybe like, um, you know, cliche as a therapist to say, but, um, moving toward the sensation is what we want. And then you can start to understand what it is, right? So 
is this sadness showing up in my body? Is this anger showing up? Um, is it disgust? Is it fear? Um, and once you start to peel that back and go, okay, I, um, gosh, I'm overeating because I need to feel comforted in my sadness right now. I actually just feel really sad and it feels too hard to bear. Um, and so I'm, I'm reaching for these other things um, in order to soothe that part of me. Um, and then you can go further in the process of why am I sad? Um, is it feeling really disconnected from my spouse right now? Is it um, the way that I chose to talk to my kids? I, I yelled at them today and I feel shame about that. Um, I feel really angry towards, you know, this person who crossed boundaries with me. Um, again, you, the list goes on and on. Um, so that's, those are kind of some um, pretty generic ways um, or examples that you can um, often find yourself in that triangle um, and a way to kind of process like in the moment, in the here and now. Um, another example that I have is, um, and, and this happens a lot in sessions, this is just kind of one example that I was thinking of. Um, one of my clients who early in her therapy dealt um, pretty severely with anxiety. Um, and she dealt with that by just kind of going all the time. She, she kept herself occupied, really busy often. Um, so she really didn't have time to really um, sit and understand it um, until she came to therapy. Um, and so there was one day that um, we started just moving more towards the anxiety because it was very present in the room, right? Her foot was shaking. Um, she had a lot of sensation in her chest. Her heart was beating really fast. Um, so we moved towards that. Once we moved towards that and we did some body work, um, some breathing, um, she was able to sink down into um, sadness, which is very scary for her. Um, feeling sad growing up was not okay um, because she um, wasn't met in her sadness. Um, so that was a really scary emotion for her. Um, once she was in that place um, and actually feeling the emotion through, um, she was getting to a place of calm, um, less anxiety in her body. Um, and, and that's another part. So when, once you get to those core emotions, um, we start to feel that release, right? Like we, we go through the wave of emotion. Wave, um, emotions are often described as waves, right? And we want to ride the wave. Um, so she was coming into that place and, and it took a lot. It's, you know, it's this whole session long. It's not like it's this quick thing um, or it takes people um, months, if not sometimes years to get to some of these deeper, more blocked off places. Um, so kind of going back, like once she was in that place, um, she then started feeling shame. Um, because, well, one thing that she said was, um, I didn't know that I could feel relief in this way. Um, I didn't know that doing something like this could give me such relief. Um, and then she started feeling shame about that because, um, also a part of her story is, um, the need to always have the right answer. Um, and so feeling stupid was, is a, a common thing for her. Um, because she needed to have the right answer. She could never be wrong. Um, 
And so that, that part of her, the shame was starting to kind of push down that sadness because um, that was a really unfamiliar place for her. Um, it was a place that wasn't really fostered for her. Um, so then it was kind of this like, okay, acknowledging, you know, once you're in this sad place, you know, that shame wants to like lift you back up, addressing that, um, coming back down. Um, so it's not this like, um, one and done once you feel the emotion, you're good to go. Um, it's a continual process. Um, and it's something that we are always doing. Um, and one more thing that I want to say about, um, kind of those core emotions that place in us, um, is that, you know, I think a lot of times people think, um, getting healing or, feeling secure means that we don't feel hard things when it's actually the opposite. Um, being secure is actually being able to tolerate or, or hold emotion, being able to feel it through um, because that's what is being human. Um, so don't think that um, being in a good place means that you're always feeling joy all the time. Um, it, being in a healthy place means we have options and we have more depth and breadth to be able to hold um, all the experiences of what it means to be human. So yeah, those are um, just a couple examples of the change triangle. With all of this uncovering, there's certainly layers, it seems. Mm -hmm. And do you find that understanding kind of your past, understanding why you react the way you do is ultimately crucial for seeing your behaviors for what they really are and seeing, you know, uh, is this something that I'm doing that's, that's harming me or is this something that I'm doing that's helping me? Mm -hmm. um, do you find that getting the underneath all of that is truly kind of what allows people to see their life and their behaviors with more clarity? Absolutely. I think going back to process our past is incredibly important to understanding how our past is alive in the present. Um, and I used the term enactment before. And so we are constantly um, finding these really creative ways um, within relationship to ourselves, others, and the world um, of how we are doing that. Um, and that's really abstract and it comes out in really different ways. Um, but once we start to understand that, um, it gives us permission to actually go back and understand the things that we didn't get in our childhood. Um, even like the most well-intentioned parents, um, even the best parents don't do it perfectly because no one's perfect. And so inevitably there are, there are, um, there are needs or longings that weren't met as children or youth or whatever throughout our life. Um, and we're going about in the present trying to figure out how to get those needs met. Um, sometimes we're doing that in really healthy ways and other times we're doing that in maladaptive ways. Um, and the key is to just come with a lot of compassion and grace for ourselves, um, looking to understand those patterns. I love that. I love that. I, I think I would love to leave I mean, I could talk to you all day. I feel like I'm, <laughs> I'm feeling very inspired after this conversation, but I would love to leave our listeners with um, kind of wrapping it all up um, because people come to this podcast specifically for 
about exercise and, you know, we end up talking about different things, but, um, if someone from your perspective, how can we, how can we understand if we are using exercise as a behavior in a way that benefits us? And maybe what are some, what are some things you would recommend looking into, or maybe what are some symptoms that someone should look for if they're maybe using exercise as a defense behavior that is ultimately harming them or not great for their health in the long run? Sure. Um, I mean, I think one of the best questions, and this is, I say this to my clients all the time, um, for what purpose am I doing this? Um, and to just get really honest with yourself um, about for what purpose? Um, and, you know, no one's going to be able to answer that except for you. Um, and sometimes we aren't ready to be honest with ourselves. And that's okay, too. Um, I think everybody comes into their own timing and their own place of doing work. Um, and not everybody is in a place of doing um, more uncovering work around our own defenses. Um, so that's the first thing. Um, like, for what purpose am I doing this? Um, the second thing is, um, I guess it's kind of asking it in a different way, but it's, what am I moving toward? And then what am I moving away from? So the moving toward is going to connect to our unmet needs and our unmet longings. So for instance, like I need, um, I need a way to feel in control. I need a way to feel powerful. Um, I'm moving away from the vulnerable part of me um, that was left powerless it's too painful to move toward. Um, and again, that could be answered in a lot of different ways. That's just one example of that. Um, but those are a couple ways to just kind of get reflective within the self. Um, and then, you know, as cheesy as this sounds, like we have to accept ourselves or where we are. Um, until we really just get honest and accept the place that we're in, no matter what that looks like, um, only then can we start to like drop some of those defenses. Um, and whenever we get to have like a safe other person in that space with us, when we're ready, when we're ready to have another safe person to see um, and accept us for who exactly as we are without changing, um, then we get to start moving and growing in different ways. Um, so that's kind of how I would answer that. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. And I think the undertone of this conversation is that, you know, <laughs> there's nothing, you know, you shouldn't feel shameful if like, I think sometimes this podcast, I talk a lot about over-exercising and, you know, I think someone could listen to this podcast and think that and interpret that as like, there's something wrong with you or like this, you're a bad person or whatever. And I think the undertone of this conversation is just endorsing that. No, you're not, of course, you're not a bad person. Your, your brain is trying to protect you. Your brain has your best interest in mind. And it's just a matter of like getting curious about yourself and your own behaviors, which I think is just such a beautiful thing. And 
I hope maybe this podcast will encourage some people to take a deeper look into themselves and maybe uh, seek therapy. Is there any type of therapy that you would recommend um, or just kind of talking to anyone? Like, what would you recommend there? Sure. Yeah. I mean, it it does, it gets confusing because there's so many types of therapists out there. Um, And at the end of the day, I think having someone you feel safe with, someone who um, you can be your true, authentic, most vulnerable self with, and they are with you in that, like that's, that is like, when you look at the research, that alone makes up the majority of what is most um, effective in psychotherapy. Um, However, I mean, I am biased in the sense of like, um, I work from a psychodynamic perspective, which that um, method or that theory focuses on um, the unconscious and utilizing the relationship um, in order to facilitate healing. Um, And yeah, but I, I will, again, kind of like you, I don't, it's not, I, I don't want to like shame other therapists because there's a place sure. for no. lots of different types of therapy. There's a place for CBD, CBT techniques. Is that the right word? Oh my gosh. Am I, <laughs> am I saying CBD? That's like CBD. I'm like, oh, CBD therapy. Yeah. <laughs> CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy. There we go. There's EMDR. There's a lot of different things that are really helpful, um, can be really helpful. Um, The way that I work though, and how everything that I discussed today is really from a very relational, psychodynamic, even attachment style um, type of therapy. I I love this. I I love this. And Jewel, thank you so much for taking your time and being vulnerable and sharing all of this. I think that this is going to be really valuable. And how can someone find you if they, if they, I know you're on a wait list, but um, how can someone find you if they want to work with you? Yeah. Um, right now you can just go to my website. It's jewelandersoncounseling.com. Pretty simple to find. Um, and yes, I do. I am full at the moment. I mean, I work in the Kansas city area, um, but I do always accept referrals. Um, and then if I can't get you in, or if my wait is too long, um, I have excellent people to refer to as well. So amazing. And we'll put all that info. We'll put all of your information in the show notes too. So if you didn't catch our website, you can click in the show notes. So thank you so much, Joel. If you want to stay on after I um, stop hitting record and we'll chat afterwards, but thank you all for listening and thank you for coming Jewel. And we will see everyone next week. All right. Thanks Shannon. All right. Bye.